Hello and welcome to Crux Investor Podcast Session. We are going to be talking to Anthony Mialuski in just a moment about the state of the market. Looking forward to that one. So, hello, Anthony. How are you? Hey, uh, thanks for uh, having me. Usually this is in person in London, but uh, I'm uh, calling in today from uh, southern Washington on the western coast of the U.S. So just trying to sit through this corona thing. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, it's a nice part of the world. Um, first of all, I, well, I imagine it's a nice part of the world. It, 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 we, we always have oh, pre- preconceptions of these things. But, uh, you know, first before we start, I have an important question for you. Have you managed to watch uh, Tiger King yet? Oh, man. Don't, don't. We've had that on for the last four nights. I didn't know people <laughs> like that existed. I did not know. Um, I mean, how crazy. You can't make it up. You can't make it up. Apparently they didn't. It, it's all real. It's all real. Where, where is her husband? We, we, we need to know. Um, I, think, I think she did it. I'm from the she did it camp. <laughs> Oh god! Well, I, I also have to let into a little secret here. Is like I have avoided watching it for the last four nights, but my children have been giving me updates. So just for moments like this, where perhaps I should have been <laughs> less honest. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad 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 you're uh, you're still able to take in uh, intellectual uh, programs like that. So, what have you been up to? Have you been sort of squirreled away for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, look, I mean, it just really focused on the markets, uh, you know, thinking about the meaning of demand destruction while balancing supply cuts, you know, for for industrial metals, you know, also spent a lot of time thinking about some of the macro conditions that should give rise to a higher gold price while balancing those with deflationary pressures from technology. And, and just thinking about the fact that, um, you know, when everyone sits in their house for months on end, and a lot of normal people lose their jobs, the world's going to look differently, uh, you know, whether it's two months or six months or a year from now. And trying to figure out how to position myself and the company and, you know, the projects that I'm involved with in a way to take advantage of, of whatever that new world order looks like. Those are some pretty big topics. That, that's um, You're thinking big, but I guess a lot of people will be because, as you say, this isn't we are not going to come out of this thinking the same way, behaving the same way, buying the same way, just at a you know normal human level, day day to day activity, which is going to have a knock on effect for you know some of the industries which you're you're into. So I mean, can you make sense of it? There's a lot of data, a lot of conflicting data, because I think people are confused. I think the market's yeah, confused. I, I think yeah, I think it's a complicated you know a complicated um, situation. I would say. You know, I think there's a great book that that I was fortunate enough to read when it first came out, probably a year ago, by Ray Dalio. It's called, um, you know, Big Debt Crisis, and and he talks about cycles, and you know, ten year cycles, twenty year cycles, five year cycles. There's all the different cycles, and I think uh, it's important to not lose fact or not lose track of the fact that you know we're probably at the tail of a really big cycle here that started after World War II uh, and that culminated in, in the U.S. being uh, the only power in the world with like the reserve currency of the world. And now we're in the tail of that cycle uh, where you have the rise of China, potentially the yuan, and a second reserve currency. And so, you know, it, it's a really interesting moment for the world. And, you know, these things play out over decades and not days. And so I think you have that macro overlay 
And then you have just some kind of interesting micro drivers, such as the fact that, you know, huge, huge numbers of Americans and, and Canadians and Europeans and Chinese and people all over the world have been furloughed. So you have a massive demand destruction for all types of consumer goods. And so you, know, you kind of have these, these different layers of the onion, as it were, that are all contributing to a unique uh, economic climate that's different than 08. Because in 08, you know, what happened really didn't impact uh, a lot of people in terms of losing their jobs. Uh, I saw in the New York Times cover last week something like 3.2 million Americans filed for unemployment. So you, know, you have some really kind of competing um, and confusing data points, as you, you said, uh, all coming together at the same time that don't necessarily allow us to use previous paradigms to kind of predict what the future looks like. And, and I think not the least of which is the massive printing of money. You know, this is like QE infinity happening. So on the one hand, you would think that we're going to have massive inflation and probably we will. On the other hand, you have these huge deflationary pressures like technology. You know, these big companies only hire a fraction of what the industrial industrial companies hired. So you have a lot of competing things happening that make it very confusing and uh, you know a time where I think companies are fraught um, you know to kind of figure out what the world's going to look like in the future and how to navigate those choppy waters. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's, you paint a rather depressing picture there. But I think the interesting thing you, you say there, and I've not heard anyone talk about this on, other than historians, you know, like Niall Ferguson or the great Christopher Hitchens, um, is, you know, about nations rising and, and falling. And do you think that America is going to come out of this the same way? Because, you know, it is the leader of the free world, but it was not leading from the front here. And if anything, it's lagging behind. Yeah, so I think okay, so I think one of the things which is interesting in our space is I think that gold bugs do themselves a massive disservice by like always calling for the end of times, like oh hyperinflation for the dollars happening. It's like guys, if you truly believe that, you know what you should do with your money? You should go buy guns and farmland. Okay, like that's what you should do. You shouldn't be buying gold to shave off and, and get wheat with. That's nonsense. So I think you have to take a more like practical approach. Uh, to that, what what I think is the case is that, as you say, nations rise and fall, and historically that's happened slowly over time, or it could have happened dramatically. And I think that because of the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency um, really operates the world today, you're going to see that change happen very slowly, like over the next 20 years. And so that point alone kind of gives me, I don't know if it's hope, but I, I don't believe that you're going to see the collapse of the, the U.S. dollar or the U.S., because that doesn't suit anyone else. No matter what China and, and the U.S.'s relationship is, or Russia, Vladimir Putin, and Trump, and all this sort of nonsense, no matter what that is, if you obliterate the USD and America, like it's taking the whole world down with it and, and all the political systems. So I don't think that's even in the cards. But what I do think, and Russia really started this uh, you know, a couple years ago with selling their USD and, and buying gold, and China has let a lot of USD roll off and purchase gold. Um, and you also see China trying to re-denominate things like crude into the yuan. I think what you have is a 10- or 20-year process um, where you're going to have the rise of at least one or two more reserve currencies. And that will hasten, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't say the decline of America, but the change of America. 
and and you sitting in you know the su- the suburbs or the countryside of of England could probably appreciate this as well as anyone that you know the UK is still a great place. Like I, I love the UK, and, and it used to be an empire and it's not anymore. I mean, but it's still a great place, and I think that's probably the future of America over a twenty year period. It's going to be a great place, but um, they're going to have to contend with the fact that China is also is also going to be probably the the world leader and dominant. I think that's like a twenty-year process. So, what do you? I'm I'm fascinated by that. Um, I mean, beautiful, beautifully and eloquently said. But again, coming coming back to the states, they've got an election coming up. An event like this makes people think differently. They they, I, well, if it's anything like here, you start thinking about people and more basic rudimentary things like food and um, heating, you know, power. Um, how do you think the election is going to play out in the states between the Republicans who have been poor at best in terms of handling this and the Democrats who were starting to fade? You know, you've, you've, you've got a sort of very yeah. I, I think I think, I, like, I, I think. So, so setting politics aside, like I, like who cares what I like, which party I'm a member of or not a member of. Um, I, I just consider myself apolitical because the whole thing is corrupt, but. But um, I think if the election was held today, that Trump would destroy the candidate because they're no longer getting any airtime. Like, is there even a primary going on in America anymore? I mean, the answer is yes, there is. But no one knows or cares about that because the news is 110% coronavirus and and related topics. So I just can't see at this moment – that they even have a hope of of winning. Now, there's some deeper issues like, you know, in the – in the democratic nomination process, you have to kind of be the most liberal person in the party to get to get nominated. But but America, by and large, you know, wants to elect centrists. So there's this problem that you have to go way out wide to the left and then come back into the middle, which doesn't resonate with probably the majority of Americans. But that's a separate. It's a strange. It's a strange thing, though. But I mean, it, it, you think if the Democrats can't win in this environment, when can they win? Because it's literally built for them. I think they can win when they put a 45, 55-year-old man or woman who's sensible up. You know, they, like this was a great opportunity for them to do that. But like, you know, all all of their candidates are, you know, Joe Biden is was he in his 70s? I mean, late 70s. I mean, they, these candidates are from a different generation, and, and they don't galvanize or excite the population. No, up Bernie Sanders stuttering his way through. He was stuttering his way through his interview the other day. You know, seems to be slightly yeah. losing it. Well, to 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 us outsiders, but let, let, let's stay away from policy because, as you say, I think it's a it's a subject fraught, fraught with um, lots of you know thing thing things which will uh, I, I rate people. And what I wanted to actually talk about is sort of the, the macro story around the economics. Um, I say, yeah, you know, the U- U.S. is a key like, driver here. The U.S. is a key like, driver. And there's an interesting point here, which is okay. So you have you have you know what's going to end up being seven trillion dollars, or maybe more. So thirty-five to forty percent of U.S. GDP is going to get printed alone in the U.S. and and forget everywhere else in the globe. You know, historically, inflationary environments, if that's what we're in, are really uh, positive for commodities. But you know, it, it, it's hard to see that that's the case. Uh, or will be the case because, you know, in 08 we saw the same thing, which is all assets, including gold, are risk assets when there's a financial crunch. So, you know, in 08 and 09, what was 
it was gold's big shining moment, but all the liquidity went into the USD because it was big and it was safe. So here we are again, 2020, and all of the liquidity has gone into the to the USD. Uh, very little. I mean, fine, gold's at what 1600 today, but like relative to people calling for 10,000 gold, it's not happened. And so you're going to continue to have a strong U.S. dollar. It feels for the time being. Um, somehow you still have to feel there's be inflation like that. You know, so you, you got these two kind of tensions. You you would think there'd be inflation, and historically that would mean commodity prices would go up. But instead, um, you're going to have continue to have the strong USD demand destruction, deflationary pressures from things like technology, and you know maybe this time is different, and we won't that uh, you know price spike in commodities like people seem to be anticipating right so I think that's kind of an interesting tension around these conflicting um, signals that the market's giving us okay so let's talk about how that's going to affect investing for you know retail family office high net worths it, it's a you know extremely strange um, market I think at the, at the moment and I said it earlier I think people I've got I've got analysts. We you know we get reports. I've got analysts diametrically opposed as to how they think this thing is going to play out, and um, which is unusual, right? Because you've got to look at the psychology of what's going on here, how it's affecting people's behaviours. As again I said earlier, uh, on a day to day basis, and the impact that that's going to have on the markets. I mean, you're you're a metals guy. What are you seeing? So I, I think there's two things. So first, um, there's just liquidity, right? And like this market is being driven very technically, meaning fund flows, you know, rebalancing, rebalancing 60-40 equities debt. Um, you know, when the market really pumped down a week and a half or two weeks ago, you had pods degrossing. You know, they're going from you know whatever they were trading at, they're they're grossing down, and so they had to liquidate pods inside of Millennium and Citadel. So. You have like fundamental, big fundamental shifts in the market happening around technical um, aspects of the market that aren't driven by like people's, you know, value seeking. And so the first thing I would say is, you know, if you're going to enter the market, like be prepared for extreme volatility. And I, you know, my style is to wait. I, I personally, in this market, I think that even, as much as I might like gold, for instance, uh, or not like gold. If the market sells off massively today, guess what? The GDX is going down, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like this factually, that's what's going to happen because it's a source of liquidity. So I think as an investor, what you have to ask yourself is not only which commodities do you love, do you like uranium, do you like copper, do you like gold, but then you kind of have to ask yourself like, well, is this thing over more broadly? And if the answer is no in your mind, I think you wait because no matter how great your story is that you, you're following. Um, if there's another big downturn, and Howard Marks from Oak Tree just published this note this morning, and, and literally the note said, you know, find the stuff you like, but don't buy it yet because it's going to get a lot cheaper. I think that's how I'm thinking about the market is I found names that I like that I don't think are going to go away because of the cost curve or because of they're hedged, and I'm waiting to buy them because what I know for sure is if the market sells down further, those names are all going to go lower. Now, you know, you can never get the timing of the bottom of the market just right, and you have to decide for yourself like when you're prepared to sit through more pain. Um, but you know, if you had a five or six year view, there's probably already a lot of names you could buy. But if if you wanted to kind of sit a little bit more, I think 
um, I think you're likely to have a buying opportunity that even surpasses where where a lot of these names are at now. But let's think of that in, in terms of retail, okay? So that you know, if, if we're like, you, you, me, we might have some spare cash lying around, and you can you can go with that advice. Great, um, but for most people, they're invested what their 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 money that they've got available to invest, and they're sitting on stock which is well underwater. You've got a couple of options. You can try to sell at a, at a loss and hope that the, there is a further bottom to the market where you can maybe come back in and hope to gain something there or just sit on it, right? What, what, what would your advice be to people? Retail. So retail, I, look, I, and you and I have talked about this. Like, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I don't think it suits most people to have the majority of their money invested in illiquid penny stocks and Agreed. why I think whenever whenever you're picking a theme like nickel or copper, you know, fine, it's okay to own some fill in the blank about your junior copper company, but you know what, you should also own some first quantum, right? So at least you can sell it. It's going to have volatility, but you can sell it. So I think if I was in a junior mining company, the biggest, one of the big questions I would ask myself in regards to whether I held it or sold it is like, when do these guys have to raise money? Because what you don't want is in the current financial environment, the current, you know, the current market, to have these guys go and raise money and blow you out. You know, because there's going to be a full warrant or a half warrant. And by the way, you may or may not get a phone call. So if you look at the balance sheet of the company that you're you know, holding stock in, and you say, look, these guys have enough money to go five years, and you're a big believer in management, and you're a big believer in that commodity, you know what, sit it up. However, if you look at this thing, even if you like the management, even if you like the copper or uranium, whatever it is, uh, and you know perfectly well that at some point they're going to have to raise money in the next six months, oh, man, I think of whether or not you want to own that. Because like, by way of example, let's pretend you're, you're long some junior copper company and you know, they're, you're down 70% or something. Uh, and you look at the balance sheet and say, these guys are going to need to raise a couple million bucks in the next you know, eight months. You know, I, but you want the copper exposure. Like I'd be hard pressed to not sell it, sell that equity, and then go buy first quantum. So you still have leveraged, risky copper exposure in a very liquid name, where there's not a capital to raise as such. Versus like this junior company where you know you're seventy percent down and they raised forty percent share capital outstanding in a three million dollar raise. So I think that for me would be the biggest thing I would consider because that's where you really could get impacted. Um, and personally, and I don't know if we talked about this, but I've kind of started to think about um, all of these sub 50, 100 million market cap companies as options. Yeah. You know, when you pay an option premium, you have theta, which is time decay. In other words, like it becomes worth less as you get closer to the time of the strike. Right. And, you know, if I buy the GDX, like that is an equity investment, and I could probably sit on the GDX and and it's fine. But I've started to look at some of these micro cap companies as options that you're trading, and there's data, and they tend towards zero, and not really zero, but but meaning that like they have to raise more money to keep the option going, so you have time decay on it. So that's how I started to think about all these things. And so when I look, for me, I look at that run rate. After, of course, I've looked at do I like the commodities still a change for the commodities. That's how I kind of think about it. You know, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I, we, we certainly have that um, thinking 
um, here with what we put our money into. But it's it, there's a, there's again a few few things, a few points to make there. Is that was it three, four, five years ago? You got these sort of junior institutional funds pulling out of juniors because of you know liquidity issues back then. If you're saying now that you know retail need to start thinking that way too, it's going to become a very difficult place for junior money, even more than it is today. Difficult place for junior miners to to operate if people adhere to the kind of caution that you're suggesting. And again, quite frankly, I, you know, we we do um, because you know they're they're the ones who you know find the projects, they they develop the projects, and you know and get them to a point where maybe a mid tier is interested enough to come in with either strategic or take take them over. If you if you kind of create a, an environment of fear around exploration. It's going to become problematic for the industry as a whole going forward. You're going to have to have some of the, the big boys have to step back into exploration, which is something that they've they've been walking away from for the, certainly as long as I've been doing this. Do you do you see that difficulty arising? Yep. Well, look, I, so I do, but it's I think it's more nuanced. So when I when I think about um, my own money that I invest, uh, you know. I say, look, what what did first quantum trade at uh, in December? Do you have any idea? Stop your head. You, uh, it's a stock I follow, so I, I can tell you. They tra- it traded at fourteen dollars. Okay, uh, as recently as a few weeks ago, first quantum was down to five dollars. Mm-hmm. That thing trades like water. It trades ten or twenty million dollars a day, right? Like you're not if you're if that if that volume. Uh, is is too low for you? Like you're not a retail investor. Okay, I can tell you right now. Like that's big volume. So so um, there's massive upside in that stock. Just if you think copper is going to happen, right? Like you can literally have bought five dollars. Know that only a few months ago it was at fourteen, and you know if the world went back to normal, it could potentially be back there, right? No, I, I get it, but but, but give, give, give me the nuance. And, and, but so, so, here's, so, so here's what I'm saying. So what I'm saying is like. Um, the risk reward profile is going to have to shift. Like, why would I buy some crappy quantum when I get my first quantum? Like, why am I going to buy some junior that might double when first quantum might double on unlimited liquidity? So, like, the prize is going to have to get bigger to attract people back in. That's what I think. And so, so but how does that happen? I guess that's where I'm getting at. Well, it's going to come down to supply demand dynamics over time. And so, you know, I think one of the things I've come to terms with in the last few years is that. You know, we built far more capacity in the run-up in the super cycle than we not than any of us actually really understood. We built far more capacity, and it's taking a lot longer to dig into that capacity. I mean, you know, Goldman for years now has published like this great copper note, basically saying next year's the year of copper. Uh, and I've been on board every year thinking that this is the year copper was going to happen, and it just hasn't. You know, look, you know, look at raw, look at Friedland, and all you know, so. So I, I think um, what has to happen is there has to be a crunch in the supply demand dynamics, um, and whether that's through new demand, um, the emergence of a new technology, the electric food, whether it's something like that, whether frankly it's just enough time passes with the depletion of mines and the last mines being built that once again there becomes uh, a huge. Uh, uh, I wouldn't call the shortage, but it becomes pressure because there's actual um, demand push the price of the underlying commodity. Up. But isn't that extraordinary? I mean, because the, the example you gave with copper there, but it's the same with uranium, which is a space that we've been following quite closely. You've got 
you mentioned Goldman's there as one, one of your references. Um, you know, you've got maybe not such illustrious um, funds involved with uranium, but there are, the, the experts that are there have been calling uranium for the last four years. They And what, the, what some of them are now admitting is that they had no idea about the volume of U-308 available out there. And you're like, well, hang on. That's exactly what you're meant to know. You know, we're, people, you've been asking people to put money in your funds on the basis that you know the market. And um, only literally in the last two, three months have people been sort of talking a slightly different language of, well, we didn't really talk about, you know, UF6 or the uh, EUR um, op, yeah, um, available out there. And, you know, you're talking about copper, which is a much, much bigger market. I mean, I think uranium's in about $10 billion in, in, in total. Copper's a much bigger market, and you're talking about people calling it wrong. And they're the ones giving guidance to the market. They affect and drive sentiment in, the, in these spaces, but the, in terms of buying. But it's the it's industry which actually defines, you know, the, the, the demand side. So, you know... Shouldn't there be a better, a better way of uh, measuring and controlling all of these um, commodities than we're seeing currently? Because these are very sophisticated people that you're quoting here. Well, I mean, like, just think about how many inputs there are. I talked about, like... I know, but still. Theory. I mean, this is, but what I would say, I think one of the challenges, especially at the micro-cap end, is that it is extremely challenging to raise money, even in the best of times. And so, you know, there's pressure on these men and women to whatever it is they're working on because you know there's huge competition for decreasing number of dollars and so you know in a way even investors are are pushing for the most sensational stories oh like um think of it within the last year there was that gold thing in australia where they were digging trenches and they like found uh, the gold nuggets, and then there's a whole debate about if it was Novo resources. Kind of, I think you're talking yeah, like, about. Yeah, I, I don't even. But forget, forget like what the truth is. Yeah, you know, like this extreme situation, right? So, and and that's because it's so challenging to raise money, and so I do think that facts get off. Like you know, it, it gets it gets it gets challenging for investors to wade through because there's like a race to the bottom of sensationalism because it's so challenging, and the more challenging, by the way, the capital raising environment becomes. Like the more sensational and, and extreme some of these stories can be, because people just raise money to move their projects forward. Well, it's and, funny and you mentioned that we, we've we've actually done an analysis on on that company because it just seemed like a, amazing. I mean, we we interviewed the CEO recently. It was a six hundred million dollar market cap company when we interviewed them. And um, what is it now? About three twenty. 320. I mean, that's after recovery. It was down around 250, I think, last week, but a uh, week before. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we did the analysis because we you know, we hadn't seen anything like it, and we weren't quite sure how all those stories tied together. But um, that report is available for members of the Crux Club um, as of tonight, actually, um, and then probably to the wider public in about a week or so. So um, it's funny you should mention that. Um, we should stop rehearsing together. That, that, that. <laughs> we did not <laughs> rehearse together. That was, was just that was coincidence. Um, but yeah, I, I see. I see what you mean. But the, the, to me, it, 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 and that's the whole point of crux investor was to say, well, look, maybe some of these stories, these the sensationalism, should be held accountable, or at least 
you know, feet to the fire to say, well, look, we, you know, let's let's sort of dig into what you just said. You know, is is it is it hope or is it falsehoods? You know, and obviously the latter is unacceptable. In which case, you know, people need to know what kind of person you or your board are. Um, if it's hope, that's one thing. In which case, you you know, you've got to be careful about how, how you phrase these things because you know everyone's a salesman and, and salesmen sell. Uh, they sell dreams and they you know sell dreams of you know me being a very wealthy man one day or you know um, being able to buy a yacht or whatever it is that they're selling, and. It's not always the truth, and, and I think there's a lot, in fact, far too many companies that get started up on the basis of creating wealth, which have no ability to create wealth, either from what's under the ground or the management team that's running it, or indeed the ability to but get also, finance as a result, though, right? risky business. It, it is, risky but there, there's still got to be some rules. And I don't think the exchanges are necessarily, necessarily upholding those rules all of the time. There, there's a game afoot. And I'm, you know, I for one, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't like that game. I think it's unfair. People have been conned out of the money on occasion, on occasion, right? Anyway, again, we're getting to murky waters like U.S. politics. Uh, so, right, we're, we're sort of coming up to our half hour here, Anthony. So, you, you've obviously reading a lot. You sound um, like you're very passionate about some of some of those topics, but. Can you make head and a tail of it? I mean, what what do you think you are going to do? What what would in fact put it another way? What would your advice yeah, to retail investors be right now? What should they do? Okay, so, so by the way, like this thing is so politically charged. There's so many data points that like whatever you say today can be completely different tomorrow. Oh, we'll call you tomorrow. But 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 from my perspective, uh, you know, we're at zero risk in the U.S. Uh, they're pumping QE out there is buying fixed income and you know i think right now the order of magnitude of people losing their jobs restaurants shutting ma and pa had a mortgage to pay for the rest everyone working at retail like all these people losing their jobs i don't think that we have felt that in the economy yet and i think when we start to realize how big and how negative that's going to be there's going to be another leg down for all equities because there will be another moment of max fear and that's probably the dip that you buy now the one caveat here uh is that you know if the u.s and there there's another stimulus package trying to go through right now that's uh, around infrastructure it's another two trillion with a t trillion dollars if in that stimulus package they allow to buy u.s equities and there's a, there's a conversation going on about that so literally <laughs> Go into the market and start, uh, you know, buying equities. If that happens, could also have a scenario where uh, the stock market is going up, decoupled from the real economy, and the real economy is going down. So I think those are the two like most likely outcomes at this moment. Personally, uh, I'm going to take a chance on being able to buy it lower, but knowing full well that the thing could move much higher if QE um, allows for the purchasing of of equities, which which it may. Uh, by the way all this setting the stage for further social problems when people long financial assets get richer and the average people don't have jobs, but that's for another time. So, uh, you know, with that backdrop, um, I just think people need to really think long and hard about their duration on thing they buy. I would not be buying anything, you know, thinking that you're going to turn it over in four months. Uh, think about the whole period. And in particular in micro caps, if you have to think about the whole period, 
make sure and think about the capital requirements of that business because if they have to raise money in this environment, there's going to be a warrant. It's going to be done at a material discount. And, you know, do you really want to be along that name in that situation? So that's how I'm thinking about it uh, at the moment. I do like gold, not because I'm a prepper, but because I do think that, you know, you will see um, things like the GDX, the GDXJ, which I like the indexes because I don't like to buy it in gold names. I do think that you will see a decoupling and you'll see those things rise. Uh, I think metal like copper uh, are probably in trouble if they're proxies for GDP growth and we've just been smashed. So I think that base metals are going to have a tough year uh, no matter how good the name is, no matter how good the asset is. So I'm avoiding buying those at this level. Uh, there, of course, is a level where I would buy a first quantum. It's not here. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Anthony Maluski of Conic Metals. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate that insight into the world at large. You've got to come back on soon, please. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Talk soon. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and, of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.